Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Um, hey, so I, uh, you know, it's July 4th, that's when youth pastors preach, and um, <laughs> me and all my friends, we're preaching today. Yeah, cool. I, uh, so, in all honesty, I had, a, I had another sermon I was working on for today, and we were at camp last week, and um, had a lot of other sermons I was preaching last week, and they're, they're, I, I, my plans got changed of what sermon I was going to preach today because um, I had preached this sermon at camp. If you've been to camp, sorry, you're going to hear this again. But um, I, Stephanie Akiyama was there, and she was asking me about, like, and I said something about I was preaching today, and she was like, you're preaching again on Sunday? And I was like, yeah, and I'm writing this one. It was um, out of Thessalonians, and she was like, look, just preach this one from camp. And she, she kind of talked me into it. Um, and I will say, just a little disclaimer, um, the, the truths in this message um, are heavy and absolutely necessary. And I, and I do believe that if middle schoolers are mature enough for it, you guys probably are as well. Um, they heard it last week, and uh, so I'm going to preach it for you guys this week, as well, this, this morning. So let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll jump into Matthew 27 if you have a Bible. Lord, we love you, and thank you so much that uh, you loved us first. You love us far more and far better, far more perfectly and completely than, than we love you. And God, the depth of your love for us to put your own son on the cross, to be crushed under the weight of sin and your wrath, it is beyond us. And I I just pray this morning that you would help me to communicate that well and, and help us all to see it truly and clearly, what it means that you crushed your son for our salvation. Help us. We need that, God. There's no way for us to see this without you helping us see it and understand it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 27, uh, if you guys have a Bible with you. Throughout the Bible, um, we see this this, this symbolism, the Bible is so full of symbolism, whether it's numbers or names or just imagery that we get kind of over and over and over again throughout, throughout Scripture. And one of those uh, images that we just kind of see run throughout the history of God's people and, and in the Scriptures is light. That where there is light, it just kind of always symbolizes the presence and the activity, often the blessing and the favor, and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. I, I think about God's people being led out of Egypt where God leads them by his presence, right? He leads them in a pillar of cloud by day, but by night it's a pillar of fire to light the way for them. There was this incredible glory of God going before the Israelite people, and then as they get into the desert, we see Moses as he goes and speaks to God, even though he can't see God perfectly face to face, that God would envelop himself in a cloud every time, God, every time Moses would go and, and speak with God and come down or, or come out of the tent of meeting and see the people again, his face would just be glowing with the brightness and the glory and the radiance of God's presence. 
And every time we see God as he, you know, whether it's in the tabernacle or in the temple, and God's presence kind of manifests itself um, before his people, he, ha- he always has to conceal himself, right, in smoke. Because it says through scripture that no one can look on the face of God and live because of the brightness of his own glory. We see this in Isaiah 6 where he sees this vision of God and yet the temple is filled with smoke because God is so bright and so glorious. It's always this, this light, Every time we see angels show up in the Bible, how does it describe them? They're always glowing. They're always bright with the glory of God, even difficult to look at. I think about the Apostle Paul as he's riding into Damascus, right? And it says that Jesus shows himself to Paul. And what happens to him? He is blinded because of the brightness of the glory of God, his his light. I think about Jesus as he takes his disciples up on this mountaintop. Matthew or, or James and John and, and, and Peter, and he takes them up on this mountaintop and he shows them kind of what he really is and who he really is in this thing we call the transfiguration, Luke chapter 9. And it says, in the midst of that, there's this cloud that envelops around Jesus and this glowing light is coming out of it, just emanating from this because where the presence of God is, the brightness of his glory is there also. And Jesus is even simply called... John chapter 1, the light of the world, and he even calls his own people, us, the light of the world, that where God's presence is, there is light. First John 1, 5 even says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And the very first commandment that we, uh, first command that God ever speaks into the emptiness, into the blackness is what? Let there be light. Light always symbolizes the presence and the favor and the blessing of God in this world. And so it is no wonder that in Matthew chapter 27, starting verse 45, as Jesus hangs on the cross for our sins, darkness comes over the entire land of Israel. It says this, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Jews celebrated the Passover during the full moon every single year. And some have kind of looked at this story and thought, well, maybe the darkness that is covering this land is due to a solar eclipse. But the fact that the Jews celebrated the Passover during a full moon rules that out. You cannot have a solar eclipse during a full moon. It's impossible. You can only have a solar eclipse during no moon because the moon's on the same side, right? And so that's not what's going on here. It's not a solar eclipse, not the moon passing in front of the sun. Instead, this is by the hand of God, a darkness that causes midday, he said it was the, the, the 6th to the ninth hour, that was 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., the middle of the day, the brightest part of the day becomes midnight in this moment as God the Father turns away from the, 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 the son of his that now sits upon the cross and the sins that sit upon his shoulders as the son turns away from the earth, so the Father turns away from his son in this moment. It's a physical darkness that God gives as a symbol to everyone who would be watching and everyone who would read this later, all of us, to understand that what was happening in this moment was the darkest, worst, most horrible, dreadful hour in the history of mankind. 
the Son of God, innocent of all sins, suffering and dying under the weight of our sins and the wrath of God. We have to understand that, and this is the lowest moment in Jesus' sufferings, he had already endured a lifetime of ridicule. I mean, we, we kind of can read through the scriptures and see some of the things that he, that he dealt with. He had already endured a life of, of contempt from his neighbors and brothers who didn't listen to him, who wrote him off, who rejected him. Probably even grew up being bullied, being picked on for the fact that he didn't have a legitimate father in this world. So you can imagine living in the culture that he lived in, everyone knowing that Mary had gotten pregnant before she was ever married to Joseph. And so Jesus grew up in that environment. He had already been called a liar and a demoniac and a heretic and a false prophet by all the religious leaders. He had already been betrayed and deserted by all of his friends and followers. He'd already been beaten and scourged and crowned with thorns and spat upon, forced to carry his own cross up a hill and then nailed onto it. And at this point, he'd already hung on that cross for six hours. Six hours he had been on this cross, nailed, suffocating, joints being pulled out of socket, having to pull himself up, push himself up as best he could just to utter some words from the cross. And we see him say at least seven different things while he hangs there. His sufferings have been great. He had already been there six hours, but at least through all that he had endured up to this point, and his own crucifixion of this last 24 hours and the betrayal and the loneliness or the lifetime of suffering and pain, the, the Bible calls him a man of sorrows, of all the things that he had endured. Up to now, at least this one thing was true, that there was one who had always been there, his father. You can imagine the pain I mean, it's one kind of pain to go through the things that Jesus had been through. It's one kind of pain, obviously, to be nailed onto a cross. It is an entirely different kind of pain to know that the one that you love most and who loves you most has now left you and turned away, forsaken on this cross. And we have to understand, this is his father. It is not as if the father does not still love his son. And God has made it clear. Jesus has made it clear. The scripture writers, the gospel writers have made it clear throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the father dearly loves his son. And the son dearly loves his father. We see Jesus, the boy, early on in, in, uh, at the beginning of his life when he's 12 years old in the temple. His parents take him to the temple. They leave. They, they, they're missing Jesus. They have to come back and they find him in the temple. And they ask him, well, what are you doing? Why are you still here? And what, what's going on? And what does Jesus say? She, he says to them, don't you know I had to be where my father is? I had to be about his business. I had to be doing his will here. Right? And then we see Jesus get baptized in Luke chapter 3. Where Jesus is baptized, and what does it say? As soon as he comes out of the water, this light shines and a voice from heaven and a dove descends onto Jesus. And we hear this voice say what? This is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. In that transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. Again, we, that cloud envelops Jesus and we kind of see him in his glory with Moses and Elijah. And then God speaks from heaven and he doesn't even reference, you guys get this, when, when, when the transfiguration happens, God doesn't even reference Moses or Elijah there. These are the heroes of the faith of the Jews. He didn't even reference that they're there. He like writes them off and he's like, this is my son. Listen to him. 
Jesus is the beloved, only begotten child of God, whom he dearly loves. And we understand that Jesus, as he lays down his life in these moments, he does it even as he prays beforehand in the garden, submitted to the will of his Father, whom he loves. But this moment, the darkest moment in human history, Jesus doesn't cry out to God as his Father, does he? In fact, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus, when referencing his Father, and his relationship with God, when directly speaking to him, this is the only place where he does not call him father. Because in this moment, he knows the truth. That God cannot treat him now as kind and merciful and loving father, but only as holy, righteous judge. That's the only thing left. And so the father does the hardest thing that anyone has ever had to do. He does not spare his own son. And for God who is love and is therefore capable of the maximum amount of love, for him to turn away and not treat his son with the love he would so desperately want to treat his son with, it has to be the hardest thing that anyone has ever done. And for the son to stay there, you got to imagine that Jesus would certainly want to cry out, Father, help me. Father, save me. Father, take me down. Take me off of this cross. And, 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 and just beg and plead for the mercy and the favor and the love and the light of God again. For that voice again to descend from heaven and say, no, no, no. We're not killing him today. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. You can imagine that Jesus certainly in his humanity would have desperately longed for those words right now. But he gets only silence. Only darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does it mean that Jesus was forsaken? Well, the first thing it means is that Jesus, or the reason he uttered those words, if you read Psalm 22, Psalm 22 begins with these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? King David writes this in Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is a very clear and specific prophecy about the exact events that are unfolding in this moment. About a suffering man who is, who is pierced, who is crushed, who is surrounded, he says, by evil and wicked men who are dividing his clothes amongst themselves. He says, I cry out to you in the day in Psalm 22. And then he says, I cry out to you at night. Darkness covers the land. And so when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surely the Jewish people around there who understood and knew the scriptures would hear those words and believe and understand. He is saying the words from Psalm 22. And when a rabbi would say the first line of a prophecy, what they were doing, what they were teaching was this prophecy is being fulfilled. This is happening now. So that's the first reason Jesus says this. But the second reason he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is because the Father is forsaking him in this moment. Now listen, I want to be clear. This does not mean that in this moment on the cross that the Father stops being the Father. Or Jesus stops being the Son. The Trinity is not broken here. Some would teach that and that's wrong. 
The Trinity is never broken. God never stops being the father of Jesus. Jesus never stops being the son of God. But again, in this moment, what is happening is that the father has to turn away. The word forsaken means to to leave alone. He has to turn away his fatherly kindness to him, all the love that he has for his child. And he has to decide in this moment to not come and rescue, to not save, to not bring down, to not give him the mercy he would want to show him, and instead to only give him the heavy hand of his wrath on the cross. Kenan was so right when he said a minute ago um, while we were taking communion that just thinking about how patient God is with us and how he doesn't punish us for our sins. And that is so true if we are in Christ. But you know why that's true? Because he punished Jesus for our sins. That's why this is true. You do understand your sins. Do not miss this, please. Your sins will be punished. God has never left one sin unpunished and he never will leave one sin unpunished romans 3 uh the 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 paragraph 21 through 26 maybe the most important paragraph in the bible in romans chapter 3 where paul explains to us that god is righteous and because god is righteous god cannot leave sin unpunished he can't do it god would not be righteous he would not be good or holy if he ever left a sin unpunished And so therefore, there's only two options for us. Your sins will be punished either on you or on Jesus. Through faith in him, our sins are punished on him. Crushed, Isaiah 53 says, for our iniquities. Actually, I want to read this. He says this, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Your sins have to be punished. God would not be righteous if they weren't. And we, we have the grace of understanding that through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that our sins are not punished on us, but on him who was forsaken in this moment. See, I think we can understand the pain that Jesus was going through. I think we can at least wrap our brains around what it would, what it would be like to be left uh, deserted, left alone, betrayed by your friends, because all of us have probably experienced things like that, even hurt and had physical pain. I mean, Jesus was obviously going through excruciating pain. I think we could probably wrap our minds around some of that. I think, though, sometimes we miss this part of it. We miss the pain of the Father in this story. Do you think he wanted to turn away from his son? Do you think he wanted to forsake his only begotten from all eternity, the one with whom he is well pleased? But he does for us. And so there's, there's a video clip that we're going to watch really quickly. Um, it's about three minutes long. This is a, this is a movie. It's a short film, and it's called, uh, it's called Most, but the word most in Czech, it's from the Czech Republic. Um, it means bridge. It's called The Bridge. You can actually watch the whole thing on YouTube if you want to. 
Um, we're going to watch a, a short clip of it. And here's, here's the background, kind of get us to where we're at in the, in the story. There's a father and a son. And this is actually an allegory. It's a Christian allegory film. Um, there's a father and a son. In the whole movie, we see the father just delighting in his son, just doting over his son. He just loves his son to death. Um, the, the son loves the father, and they do everything together. They spend all their time together. They go everywhere together. They laugh together and play together and tell jokes, and it's just this beautiful uh, story the whole time of the father and the son. Well, one day, the, son, the, the father takes his son to work with him, and the dad is a bridge operator. He's a train bridge operator, so he lifts up the bridge so boats can go under and he puts down the bridge so trains can go over it. And while the, the son is there with him, the, the boat comes and he has to lift the bridge up. But there was a train scheduled for much later in the day that comes very early. And while the train bridge is up, the, the train begins to come. And the son sees the train coming and knows we have to put this bridge down. And my dad doesn't see it or this train's going to crash and everybody on board will be hurt or die. Right? So the son, as he sees the train coming, he begins to yell for his father. Now, there are subtitles. You're going to have to read a little bit um, because it's from the Czech Republic. So let's just watch this. I want you to, as we watch this, I want you to notice the choice and the anguish of the father as he does what must be done in this moment, okay? Let's watch this. Fly, <laughs> 
train full of people who had absolutely no idea what just happened. And a father who had to make a choice. Sometimes I wonder, do we have any idea what happened on that cross? Do we have any idea that pain, the choice that the son made to sacrifice and lay down his life, but also that the father had to make? Isaiah said he was crushed for our iniquities. Do you understand who did the crushing? The Father. It was His will. And Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, which, by the way, Gethsemane means to crush. He prays in that garden, Father, not my will, but Yours be done. What was the will of the Father? It was to raise the hammer of His own wrath against His own Son and to decide in this moment that I will crush my son for your sins. Not his sins, your sins. And so that we would receive righteousness, not our righteousness, his righteousness. And the punishment, Isaiah said, that brought us peace was upon him. What was the hardest thing? that God had to do. Let me ask it this way. John Piper asks it this way. I love the way he phrases this question. What is the greatest obstacle between you and your salvation? What was the greatest obstacle that God had to overcome? Now, that's the easy answer to that is you just sort of think of it off the top of your head would just be sin. Sin is the greatest obstacle, and to be sure, sin is a great obstacle. But think about that illustration. What was the greatest obstacle between those people on that train and getting to the other side? It wasn't that the bridge was up. That wasn't the greatest obstacle. It's not our sin by itself that is the greatest obstacle. It was what? The love of the son for his, for, for, the love of the father for his son. That was the greatest obstacle. That was the hardest thing that had to be done because the father loves the son. That father loved his son and the choice came because he knew if I pull this lever that I pull every day, it's easy to pull. I can punish sin whenever I want to. God, we know this about God. He can punish sin anytime. He's been doing it forever and he will do it in the end. But the hardest thing he had to do was knowing that when he pulled that lever, it would crush his own son. For the sake of our sins. People on a train who have no clue what's even going on. And so here's the question I just want to ask this morning. What does this have to do with us and what does this mean for us? Two things. I just want to wrap up with these two things. Two things that this means for us because Jesus was forsaken on that cross for our sins. Here are two things that it means. If you're taking notes, these are, these are two great things to write down. Number one, we are not condemned in our sins because Jesus has been condemned for us. Galatians 3.13 says that he became a curse for us. Because he was cursed, because he was condemned on that cross. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's what the Bible says. That we are not condemned in our sins. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see this morning the cost of your sin? The cost, the payment that had to be made. 
Where there is sin, there has to be death. It's your sin. It should be your death. But Jesus' death is the payment for the sins of all who put their trust in him. And there is no condemnation if we are in Jesus. Y'all, it is our sin that betrayed him. It is our sin that sold him for 30 pieces of silver. It is our sin that deserted him and handed him over to the Romans. It is our sin that put him on trial. It is our sin that had him scourged and beaten and with a crown of thorns on his head, mocked and slapped, his beard pulled out. It is our sin that put the crossbeam on his shoulders and led him up that hill. It is our sin that drove those nails into his hands and his feet. It is our sin that lifted him up to be crucified for hours. It is our sin that caused God to cover the land in darkness and turn his face, his love away from the sun in this moment. Do you see the weight and the cost of your sin? But understand, you are not condemned in that if you are in Christ Jesus. That is the first thing that is true of us, that in our sins, even in our own sins, we are not condemned if we now put our faith in Jesus Christ because our sins are taken from us and put on him to be crushed by the hammer of God's wrath. We must understand, and I hope that you see this morning, that God treated his son like a sinner so that he could treat sinners like sons and daughters. Do you understand that? He treated his son like a sinner to treat sinners like sons and daughters. This is grace. And the second thing that's true is this. And um, Scott, I'm going to ask you to come on, come on up, man. We're going we're gonna to just have a time of prayer in just a second. The second thing that's true is this. We are not condemned in our sins, number one. And number two, we are not forsaken in our sufferings. Because Jesus was forsaken, you and I never have to be. That's the point. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why have you turned away? Why have you left me here to die? Because that is true. Your sufferings and my sufferings will never be turned away from by God. That we don't have to be forsaken. That if God would do this to his own son, here's what Paul says in Romans 8, 32, that if he would not spare his own son, will he not with him give us everything? He's making an argument, right, from greater to lesser. That's the argument he's making. The greater thing is God didn't spare his own son. That's the hardest thing. That's the biggest gift. That's the greatest blessing. And if he's already done that for you, he'll give you anything. He'll give you every blessing. Read Romans 8 and just swim in that ocean of grace. If you want to understand what it means that God has not spared his son. And so if he would do that for you, he will give you all things in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1.3, is in Christ Jesus. Because he was forsaken. You never have to be. There's no suffering he can't redeem. There's no sin he can't forgive. There's no pain he cannot heal. There's no doubt he can't overcome. No fear he can't erase. There is no death that he cannot resurrect. Do you see this this morning? So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says this, that if we are to be enabled to offer ourselves to God as living sacrifice, if we are to be enabled to worship him as we are supposed to, then here's what we must do first. We must see his mercy. It's Romans 12, 1. We gotta see his mercy first. And how are we going to see his mercy if we don't see the cross for what it is? 
if we don't see that this was meant for us and yet it was given to Jesus on that cross over and over for hours on end, his body crushed under the weight of sin and wrath. So let's see the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us look at the cross of Jesus and let us look at it every day. Let us see the cross of Jesus with all of its pain and all of its blood. Let us see the cross of Jesus when we're ashamed. Let us see the cross of Jesus and remember that he scorned the shame of the cross, Hebrews 12. That he scorned its shame and he took it for us. Let us see the cross of Jesus when we suffer in pain and sickness, remembering that Christ's sufferings have given us a new hope beyond this dying world. Let us see the cross of Jesus when we are tempted into sin again, remembering the great sacrifice and the suffering that Jesus took upon himself in order to purchase our forgiveness and our freedom from bondage to such things. Ask yourself, ask yourself when you're tempted to sin if you are willing again to trample underfoot the blood of Jesus that was paid for that exact sin. Are you willing to do that in your temptations? Are you willing to do that in your sins for 15 minutes of worldly pleasure? Are you willing to step on and trample on the Son of God again? No. Let's look to the cross every day so that we see and are filled with gratitude and hope and joy and would lay down our lives. Let us look to the cross when we have no peace. Let's remember that Jesus died so that we might have peace with God and peace with one another. When you're afraid, look to the cross. Look to the cross, knowing that fear is only for those who will be punished by God. And if we are in Christ, we will never be punished by God. John says fear is all about punishment, but perfect love casts out all fear. We have no fear of punishment because Jesus took it for us. Your punishment and mine. And when you feel alone, when you feel all alone in this world, look to the cross and remember that it was Jesus who bore the forsakenness of God all alone in the universe for your sins and for mine so that you and I would never be alone, ever. You are not alone. Do you guys hear me on this? You are not alone. You are not forsaken, and that's because he was in these hours. Guys, let's see the cross. Let's see him there. Let's see him forsaken. Let's see him condemned and cursed under our sins and the wrath of God for us. And let us forsake our sins because of the one who was forsaken for them. Let's lay down our lives in holiness. And so here's what I want to do. As, as Scott just plays a little bit, we're just going to pray together. And I want you to bow your heads. Just go ahead and bow your heads right there where you're at with me this morning. I just want you to go to the Father and I want you to, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a Christian person, you have laid down your life in submission to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to boldly just say in your heart as you talk to God this morning, I want you to say, Father, 
call him Father and understand that you can call him Father because Jesus submitted to him as God, as judge. And I just want you to lay down right now, just lay down your sins before him, lay down your suffering before him, and know that you are not condemned in your sins, and you are not forsaken in your sufferings. Jesus was both. So just go to him. Just pray to him right now. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at East Ridge Church.